Madam Chair. Ma'am, Mayor. Those are typically three years. Um, so individuals basically follow that traditional induction annual one, annual two contract path through the different um, approved pathways um, to advance from that initial to a standard professional certificate. As part of that process, they complete the pedagogy requirements and training of the particular route. Mm -hmm. And that the, the teacher eligibility follows Yes. Yes, so depending on the type of credential an educator has, so for instance, if an educator has an initial uh, teaching certificate and they've gone through a traditional preparation program, to advance to a standard professional certificate, they have to complete the requirements of teacher induction and then that adept formal evaluation process. On an alternative route, certificate through that three-year pathway. They complete all the training requirements that are attached to that particular pathway, complete induction, and also that formal evaluation of their teaching performance. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Um, and uh, any other questions do we have on 4788? Representative Bradley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Before you sit, <laughs> uh, is there, there's a couple simple questions. Is that, huh? Is it is this a requirement that teachers do this, or is this a this is an opportunity for them to advance? That's part A, and part B of the question is: if they get these advanced certificates, do they get additional income as a result of it? All right. So these are just the types of certificates we issue, the basic certificate types. Um, so there may not be additional compensation attached to the certificate type. Typically, changes in compensation follow the classification of that credential. So if I have a bachelor's or a bachelor's plus 18, master's or master's plus 30, that's where the additional compensation is connected to that credential type. So these are almost more like requirements. Yes, yeah, so these are this is how these are the different types of credentials that we can actually issue to an educator. Thank you. Are there any other questions that we hearing none, thank you very much. And um, we'll hear a motion on forty seven eighty eight. So we have a motion um, and then we'll proceed to a roll call. Mr. Alexander, yes. Mr. Anderson, yes. Mr. Bradley, yes. Mr. Bryant, Aye. Mr. Burns, Aye. Mr. Chumley, Aye. Mr. Forrester, Aye. Mr. Huggins, Aye. Mr. Newton, Aye. Mr. Rivers, Aye. Ms. Robinson Simpson, Aye. and Mr. Wheeler. The next document before us is 4789, Madam Chair.
The motion is to approve. Is there any questions or discussions? Representative Bradley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I, if I heard you correctly, I, you said something about fees. Um, are there new fees? I didn't see any in here, so they may be in there and I just missed them. There, there are none. There are no fees for this? No, so that, that is all of our understanding. There's none that I'm aware of. Right. That would be good. Yes, sir. Because it's hard enough to be a teacher anyway as it is, and we don't pay them enough. Right. And so to charge them to have professional certification makes no sense to me, so I'm glad to know there are no fees. Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, just, just to be clear, uh, on page 2 of the State Board of Education document, under Roman numeral 2, application and evaluation fee, it does state that the applicant must submit to the South Carolina Department of Education uh, Teacher Certification Office a non-refundable fee for the evaluation and processing of each of his or her applications. So I just want to be clear since I'm Right, but that's not a new fee. Now, if you're concerned about the fee, we need to probably address that, but this is not a new fee. They're not so this is probably not the right place to address that? Right. Probably not. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, we certainly, uh, we're here to, to help. So whatever we need to do, just let's. let's. Ms. Heatwell, do you know the magnitude of that fee? Yes, sir. And every teacher in the state has to go through this? For, yes, sir, for their certification. Just one time. It's not a renewing. It's not an annual. It's a one-time fee when they go through their initial certification and become certified. And we have something on the magnitude of 75,000 teachers? 50. 50,000. So that, that's a, a $50 million expense? Well, not necessarily because we, they didn't all pay it in one year. They only pay it one time over their entire career. Mary, how many teachers do we deal with each year annually? They're active employed teachers for about 55,000. Right. But how many would how many in each year would we have go through and pay, potentially pay this fee? It, it varies from year to year. I mean, Ballpark. We have several thousand teachers that yeah. apply for an initial certificate. Okay. <clears throat> All right, we'll deal deal with this at another time. This is uh, revenue that comes into the State Department of Education to try and offset the cost of running that. Correct. It okay. it funds our certification office. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir. Are we, we okay? For now. Okay. Yes, sir. Sheriff Bryant. No, no I, that's the question I had. What is the money used for? And, you know, why do we charge that fee? Right. And and, and, and again, Ms. Heatwall, I, I guess if you'll just sort of address the actual fee allocation there. So we'll, we'll pull a history of those fees and give you annually how much is submitted, and then we can give you the budget for the certification office, but we keep all of these electronically. We, we fund the staff in the office, and we have a separate state appropriation that goes to that office, too, and I'll be glad to submit that, and it's on its own line item in the budget. And this office deals with all of the teachers that have certification issues, as well as dealing with our approved programs, and I think that there are about 33 programs around the state that they, that, that they also deal with. Thank you. Ms. Heatwell, yes, if you just stay for a moment, sure. I think we have some other questions. Representative Bradley. Um, 
I'd be very interested in that, Ms. Heatwell, because um, you guys have five, $600 million of carryover annually, and that's probably invested, and you guys are earning $10, $12 million a year on that carryover, I would assume. Oh, okay. <laughs> does, does the Wait, treasurer retain that money? No, sir. We don't have five or six hundred million dollars in carry for it each year. Each of our line items, we've got currently in the Senate version of the budget about 200 provisos that dictate each line may have a specific carryover. Some lines do not have carryover. Last year, $55 million of the carry for that we had, and we split that out on line items, was allocated to the Abbeville districts. The carry forward that we have this year, which I can submit what we submitted to Ways and Means, there, is, there are some lines that have carryover that have to go to fund those same programs in the next year. And no, it is not invested, and no, we do not earn interest on it, and it is not with the treasurer. Yes, sir. Mr. Chairman Forster, did you have a question? Okay. Any other questions? No, Madam Chairman. Okay. All right. Um, thank you very much, and we appreciate it. Um, at this time, do I hear a motion on 4789? Let's proceed to a roll call. Mr. Alexander? Yes. Mr. Anderson? Yes. Mr. Bradley? Yes. Mr. Bryant? Yes. Mr. Burns? Aye. Mr. Chumley? Aye. Mr. Forrester? Aye. Mr. Huggins? Aye. Mr. Newton? Aye. Mr. Rivers? Aye. Ms. Robinson Simpson? And Mr. Wheeler. Madam Chairman, I think you had something. Sir, before moving on education subcommittee, I want to recognize the other two members of the committee, which would be Representative Newton and Representative Wheeler. Thank you so much for your work on these regulations. Right. Thank you all very much. This time we're going to call on uh, Chairman Forrester, and the document before us is 4809. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Document 4809 is brought by DHEC to promulgate new regulations that establish licensure and regulatory requirements for crisis stabilization unit facilities. These facilities provide a short-term residential program offering psychiatric stabilization services and brief intensive crisis services to individuals 18 years of age or older, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The facilities are used to divert individuals from jail and are run by or in partnership with the South Carolina Department of Mental Health. Document 4809 contains, but is not limited to, relevant definitions, construction, and maintenance standards for facility enforcement methods and treatment protocols. It received unanimous approval from the subcommittee, and there was no opposition. Move for approval. We have a move for approval. Are there any questions or for Chairman Forster. Hearing none, we have a motion. Um, we'll proceed to a roll call. Mr. Alexander? Yes. Mr. Anderson? Yes. Mr. Bradley? Yes. Mr. Bryant? Yes. Mr. Burns? Aye. Mr. Chumley? Aye. Mr. Forrester? Aye. Mr. Huggins? Aye. Mr. Newton? Aye. Mr. Rivers? Aye. Ms. Robinson Simpson? Aye. And Mr. Wheeler? Very good. Uh, the next document before us is 4810, Chairman Forrester. We're moving on to <laughs> Environment and Natural Resources and Chairman Chumley. And uh, the you. first document before us is 4810. So 
thank you, Chairman Chumley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Representative Forrester is welcome to take it if he'd like. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, <clears throat> document 4810 comes to us from DHEC and amends Regulation 30-14 with respect to the review process for revising jurisdictional lines and erosion rates affecting beachfront properties. These amendments are in response to the department's required seven to 10 year review of beachfront jurisdictional setback lines, baselines and erosion rates. With this amendment, an individual will have one year from the department's line de determining date, determination date to appeal that finding. It received unanimous approval from the subcommittee and there was no opposition and we'll move for passage. Thank you, Chairman Chumley. Is there any questions for Chairman Chumley? Representative Bradley. Um, Representative Chumley, is this in response to the problem that they had back in the fall with the setback lines? Yeah. Is this, this is what has been promulgated as a result of that? Was, does anybody know if Mr. Hewitt was involved in? He was. And he's, he's, very happy. he's comfortable with this? Okay, good, thank you. Are there any other questions for Chairman Chumley? Hearing none, um, we have a motion, Mr. Representative so Chum. Mm -hmm. We have a motion, so we'll proceed to a roll call. Mr. Alexander, Mr. Anderson, yes. Mr. Bradley, yes. Mr. Bryant, Mr. Burns, Aye. Mr. Chumley, Aye. Mr. Forrester, Aye. Mr. Huggins, Aye. Mr. Newton, Aye. Mr. Rivers, Aye. Ms. Robinson Simpson, Mr. Wheeler, Aye. Mr. Bryant. Yes. Okay. Very good. Um, I just wanted to say thank you uh, to everyone. Um, I want to just sort of bring this up. We, we do anticipate having another full committee before the end of the session. But um, just at any time, um, we're certainly trying to make this process and our committee uh, the very best. We're so fortunate with uh, our wonderful staff and Dustin and Cami and are certainly our, our folks that help out so much. But um, at any time that you have any suggestions or thoughts or concerns, um, you can text me, you can email me, call me, talk to me on the floor, whatever. Um, we'll certainly try to take it up and try to help to make this as uh, the best that um, it can be. And so I just wanted to let you know that. Um, we sort of have an open door policy, so let me know anything that we can be doing to make this better for you and anything we can do to help you with. Yes, sir. Mr. Chairman, thank you Chairman very much. Alexander. I have um, asked the, um, the staff to look into this regulatory review task force that was appointed by Governor Haley. And the premise of that task force was to look at all of the regulations in a more timely manner in this state. I mean, we, as you can tell, we are bombarded with regulations and some on the books that probably need to come off the books. And my understanding the responsibility of that task force is to look at those regulations and those that could come off, need to take them off. So I'm asking staff to kind of go back to the governor's office and see what became of that task force so we could probably take a look at that. That's a great suggestion. Is there any other? Sure. Have, <clears throat> just a comment, maybe as much as a suggestion. Uh, I, I would like to know if the rest of this board received as many emails about <laughs> that setback that I did. I think the, I probably received close to 100. Oh. You know. Did I? 
thank goodness. So, so you did get a hundred. Is that correct? I'm just guessing, uh, Mr. Chairman, but it's been unbelievable uh, how many I got from the Myrtle Beach, Charleston, Hilton Head uh, areas. Wow. Well, I mean, we all got a bunch. I mean, I, I... It's very significant to the beachfront property owners. And it, in effect, was a... It looked to them as if it was a quasi-land grab. So that I think they were pretty darn exercised over it. So, just for what it's worth. And while I got the microphone on, uh, Mr. Chairman, Alexander, I would be more than happy to help you in, with your task force if that's something... Well, it's something that the governor approved and we were talking about it. So I've, I've, asked, I've asked the staff, Dustin, to take a look at it, go to the governor, and see how we can reestablish that committee so we can continue to do what that committee was set up to. We do, we are bombarded with regulations. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. We certainly um, want to do very best we can. And um, if there being no further business, is there anything else we need to discuss? Hearing none, this uh, meeting will stand adjourned. Thank you all for being with us.